Snap Studios. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. When I was a kid, eight, nine years old, rural Michigan, out in the sticks, grapes, green, purple grapes, they're really hard to come by. But I love them, I love them. So exotic, still on the vine, so civilized, like on the TV. Something that we might get to taste only if the white folks are coming over from church. But this day, nobody extra is invited inside the house. It's the worried faces time. The hushed voices time. My mother scoops us out oatmeal for breakfast. Later on, we eat from that same pot of oatmeal for lunch. And when my mother brings us out bowls of oatmeal for dinner, my brothers start to cry because they're younger than me. They don't know any better. I don't cry. Instead, I tell them how good it tastes, especially when you don't put nothing on it. No honey, no butter, no sugar. All that stuff we don't have makes it nasty. Look, 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 look. I'm shoving spoonfuls of oatmeal in my face. Now they laughing and eating as my parents turn away. We go to bed, stomach churning. I wake up to the smell of frying sausages, toast, eggs, and I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I get out of bed, go to the kitchen, there on the table, directly in front of my plate, grapes. Big green grapes, the kind my mother knows I love, so now I hate grapes too. Because where I live, rural Michigan, our community our community doesn't have any secrets they know just like I know that this magnificent breakfast spread came from out behind the IGA where they throw their expired food in the garbage bin and to get it to get it they make you dig deep you gotta root through that garbage where everyone can see you picking through the trash. Every kid's parent tells every kid so every kid can come tell me. We saw your mama rooting in the garbage. Is she Oscar the Grouch? <laughs> they laugh. They laugh and I burn. I burn thinking about it. I can't eat this. I can't. My mother comes over, kisses me on the forehead, and she says, Lord willing, one day, you're gonna have a little boy. 
that you would do anything for. Today in Stamp Judgment, we proudly present the baton. My name is from Washington, and my mama knew exactly what she was talking about. And she didn't even listen to Snap Judgment. We begin. Now you know the things you heard growing up, the warnings, the threats, the things said over and over, the stuff you know doesn't matter. A story from the perspective of the person living it takes us into the center of a natural disaster. So listener discretion is advised because one boy has to try to remember all those things that he thought didn't matter. Snap judgment. Rizal Saputra was on leave from army training, visiting home for the first time in a long while. That first night, he and his mom stayed up late, watching movies and talking. From 8.30 all the way until 1 a.m. 1 a.m., that magical hour when people start to open up and say things they wouldn't normally say. She was asking whether I have a girlfriend or not. I said, yes, mom, I have a girlfriend. Rizal told her he'd introduce them the next day. Then his mother shared something of her own. So during that night, my mom told me, Rizal, you know what, I might be gone very soon. I said, "Ah, no, mom, you're still fine, don't worry. But my mom said, but I feel that I'm going soon. I said, mom, if that really happened, please forgive me if I make a lot of mistakes to you. And my mom said, you are a good man, you are my good son. Even though he didn't want to believe what his mother had said, Rizal had a nagging thought. Because just a week before, something had happened. What happened is that I have a dream. In his dream, all of his teeth fell out of his mouth. The whole teeth is gone. So based on our belief, if you have that dream, meaning the entire family will be gone. After the talk with his mom, Rizal went to sleep that night, perturbed. He woke up the next morning at 7 a.m., and put on a yellow t-shirt and a pair of green shorts his dad had given him. Then the earthquake started. Everything is shaking, the trees is moving, the house is moving. It's about three minutes. The earthquake's magnitude was a 9.1 on the Richter scale. The force of the earthquake was so strong that Riesel and his family, unable to stand, sat on the ground, waiting for it to end. What I hear is the houses collapse. Brum, brum, brum. People are screaming, help, help. He remembers the sound of the coconuts falling from the trees. By 7.20, the earthquake had stopped. Rizal, his mother, his sister, and his father were okay. So was their house. But now, for Rizal, alarm bells were going off. In our belief... If the earthquake very strong happened in the morning, before 12 p.m., that's going to be a big, big disaster is coming to that place. 
I did ask my dad, Dad, will this really happen? And Dad, can you tell us what will happen next? I asked him like uh, three times. He just keep quiet. His face looks scared. That's the first time in my life my dad never answered my question. Not knowing what else to do, Rizal and his dad carried on and went to the mosque. Searching for answers, Rizal looked for the imam to ask again, did the earthquake mean something bad was coming? Have you uh, experienced a big, a very strong earthquake in the past? He just walked away from me. In total, he spoke to five elders in the village, but no one would answer his questions. Strangely, nobody, except for Rizal, talked about the one thing that was on everyone's mind. Then, my dad said, Rizal, stop talking. At 7.30, one of the kids from the village came running. He ran toward us. First thing, he looked at me. He said, brother, Rizal, run. He said, the tsunami is coming. Rizal remembers hearing the sound, almost like a helicopter flying overhead. He ran to the road and looked out to the sea, and all he saw was a black wave coming towards him. I thought, Allahu Akbar, today is the last day of the world. Everybody going to die today. The wave was about seven, eight stories tall. In Rizal's line of sight, from the mosque to the ocean, he could usually see an island not far from shore. But when he looked, it had disappeared, consumed entirely by the wave. Everybody was gone. Everybody was just running away. My dad's still there. He's just still standing. I don't know what he's thinking about. Then I just go, I hug him. I shook his hand. I said, Dad, please forgive me. If I have made a lot of mistakes to you, please forgive me. Then my dad said the same result. He looked so sad. He said, Run. But instead, Rizal went to his sister. I also hugged my sister. I also shook her hand and said, Sister, please forgive me. And she just smiled. She didn't say anything. Then after that, my dad screamed at me and said, Rizal, run. Don't wait for us. Just run. Rizal was a strong runner. He'd been a champion in high school, and because he was in army training, he was in good shape. So when his dad told him to go and leave them behind, he started running. Fast. Your thought is only one. You want to be alive. There's a mountain. It's about two kilometers away. About 100 meters I ran. I looked back and the wave had taken away my house, my dad, my sister. I don't see them anymore. People are screaming, the trees are falling, everything is like crushing shadows. Rizal was trying to reach higher ground, so he headed towards a mountain nearby. While I was running, I met people in the middle of the road. You know, they don't know what to do. I told them, don't wait here, run. They just sit down, they don't do anything. They just keep crying and screaming. And I just keep running. I managed to reach almost to the mountains. Uh, at the foot of the mountain, I met my uncle. Rizal stopped in his tracks. His uncle was sick and weak and wouldn't make it there in time. He said, Rizal, don't help me. I said, save yourself. If he kept going, Rizal would make it to the top, ahead of the wave. 
I told him, I just cannot let you go, uncle. If if I mean to die, I'll die. If I don't mean to be died, I won't die. Rizal was still carrying his uncle when the wave hit. When the, the wave hit me, my first thought is, God, I don't want to die yet. In the water, he and his uncle were torn apart. The water is very dark, black, you can't see anything. I just keep praying, just keep saying, La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, ya Allah, please save me. For the next several minutes, he couldn't breathe. He found himself tumbling, not knowing up from down. And then he felt something push him out of the water, into the air, and up into the mango trees. When he was hit by the wave, and then the trees, and then the debris swirling in the water, Rizal didn't feel anything, except for the fear. It wasn't until he found himself safely perched atop the mango trees that he started to feel the pain. So much pain on my body, blue everywhere. The yellow t-shirt and green shorts his dad had given him. The whole clothes was just red blood everywhere in my body. Rizal's back was injured. So were both his legs, cut up by broken branches colliding into him in the water. His left ankle was broken. But any pain was soon overshadowed by shock. Because from on top of the mango trees, when Rizal looked towards where his home should be, he saw nothing. My village is all sea, it's all gone. Everything is dark. I don't see any humans anymore. I remember. I only see mountains. When I was on top of the trees, I was asking God, please, don't bring me to the sea. If you bring me to the sea, I think I'll be gone. Then the second wave came. The mango tree that was keeping Rizal safe collapsed under the force of the surging water. He lost sight of everything as the wave took him down. Rizal doesn't remember exactly how long he was inside, but he knows it was too long to survive without air. The only thing that I have in my mind is that I'm going to die. That's it. So that moment, I said, I know my parents, all my family will be gone. So let me alive. Save me, God, because if you save me, I can pray for them. Pull me up. Save me. Rizal says that in the dark, opaque water, he saw something. A man who looked like an imam, dressed in white, glowing. He looked like a young guy. He didn't, uh, didn't talk to me anything, didn't say anything. He just uh, he smiled at me. He says it was an angel. The angel pulled me up, you know. He gave me air right into my nose. That person is just the one that rescued me. When Rizal emerged from the tsunami, he saw that the wave had taken him far from the mango trees. Out in the open sea, the water was calm, treading in place. The first thing I do is I said, God, please give me something that I can hold on. God, give me some trees. So after I just said, Allahu Akbar, then the trees just suddenly appear in front of me. He caught a tree floating by and held on tight. I said, God, just one, I think it's not enough. Give me more. More came. More trees and broken branches. Rizal grabbed as many as he could. I know there's nobody going to rescue me. 
I have to build this as soon as possible. First thing I do is I look at the trees. The trees you can take the the skin. The skin you can use for the rope. Rizal was using this bark for the skin of the tree as a rope to tie the tree branches together. It was a trick his grandfather, who he used to live with in the jungle, had taught him. Rizal listened closely as his grandfather taught him how to pick out which trees had the best skin, the strongest bark to tie things, which trees could float on water. So I pull it one by one, one by one, one by one. So I just put, 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 I tie, put, 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 then I collect until I make a rough. Then I sit down on the top. It took him about two hours to build. Then Rizal climbed onto the raft. It was still morning. What happens on day two, with Rizal still at sea? When Snap Judgment returns, stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Support for Snap Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, Accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com. Slash snap. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Bataan episode. When last we left, Rizal had survived a tsunami that destroyed everything and everyone he knew. After his first day at sea alone, he had no idea of what to do next. Snap judgment. When you're in the midst of chaos, and then you suddenly get a moment, a moment of silence, that's when you start to think. I started to think about my mom, my dad, my families. I also thought of this kind of wave not only hitting uh, my, my town, it's possible also hitting the whole of... Uh, Sumatra, the whole of Indonesia. At one point, Rizal even thought that the tsunami might have hit the entire world. From the top of his raft, as it floated on, he could make out trees in the distance. Looking closer, he began to see eyes peeking out from behind them. Kids. 
so many kids around like the age of 12 to 16 years old i seen more than 100 of them all of them is naked they sit on the coconut trees two here one there they are distant from me in the water there wasn't much to hold on to the only way anyone could really survive was by clinging onto the tops of the coconut trees the only things tall enough to poke out of the water but rizal was too far out to reach them i scream bang they i say brother little brother um can you hear me what's your name Actually they look at me when I I call them but nobody speak to me. They look so scared. Yeah, so much fear on their face. I think they were thinking what really happening and next they were thinking how to save themselves. The first day I seen so many kids. I seen many of them. But as the hours passed, Rizal drifted further and further away. He started to call out to others, his family members. Maybe they had survived. Maybe they could hear him. So I call one by one. I call Suryana. His mom. Didn't respond. Abdul Hamid. His dad. Then I said Asira. His sister. Then my cousin name, my uncle name, my auntie name, Maimuni, Mary, Iskandar, Nandar, Destra, Vicky, Juwita, Mentari, Baiman, Safia, Chutputro, Zulaina. Nobody respond. Salamun. Ansari, Murdani. Floating in the water, debris, trees, plastic bags, they began to surround Rizal on his raft. But after a few hours, he saw something else. I saw an army bag is floating, floating somewhere near to me. It was about 50 feet away. So what I did is I swam away to take the bag. What I found inside the bag is army knife. Then I saw a coconut floating just very near to me. So again I swim. I took the coconuts. Right now not eight of them. I was so thirsty. So I took that knife. I just drink all of them. I drank all of them. Then something I feel in my in my stomach. All of the water Rizal had consumed while he was in the tsunami. The dark black water came pouring out of him. I was just sitting down doing nothing. just asking myself what's really happening whether it's end of the world whether it's going to be another wave coming to hit me and take me away so it just like i think about 3 hours to 4 hours i was just sitting quietly just thinking what will happen next until that evening a guy came to me um so this guy he was holding one of the trees like okay, he's trying to swim to my raft then he said Bro, please help me, please help me. His body was white. So white that Rizal thought he must be a ghost. After that, I just look at him. Oh, this I think is a human. For a brief moment, Rizal worried they would both sink if he let the man onto the raft. I pull him up from the water, I put him into the raft. It held. His name is Fadli. He's a policeman. He's still in uniform. He was attached to one of the police station in my town. I don't know him at all, but he know me. When the tsunami first began, Fadli ran up to the mountain. After he went out into the mountain, then he feel not uh, secure because in Muslim belief, the end of the day, the water will come, the mountain will explode. So after running all the way up, he decided to run back down. That's the moment when the wave took him away. 
Rizal asked Fatli about his family. Then, he proposed a deal. If I'm survive, I will go and find your parent, tell your parent that I met you. So if you survive, please go and find my family. I said, this is my family name, this is my father name, my mother name, my brother name. Then I said, please tell them you met me in the sea. So after that moment, straight away he said, Rizal, I want to rest. I'm very tired. Can I just sleep? I said, yes, go ahead and sleep. The last word I said that if we were to be alive together, you and me would be brother forever. That's why I told him. So he said, agree. After he promised, Fadley lay down to sleep. That night, Rizal heard the cries of other people calling for help, but couldn't see them in the darkness. It was only the end of day one. The next morning, I think about 7 a.m., I was trying to wake him up. I said, Fadli, wake up, wake up, bro. It's already morning. He didn't respond. So I said, Fadli, wake up, wake up, Fadli. He didn't respond. I check his body, check his blood, check his nose. So while I'm checking on him, I sit down and I pray. I say, God, don't take him away. At least I got somebody, some friend that's alive together. But when he felt Fadli's pulse, he felt nothing. So at that moment, I feel that, ah, my friend, you have gone. So I don't have a friend to talk anymore. In the end, Rizal couldn't bear to let Fatley's body go into the sea. So he swam away from the raft to leave the body in peace. Rizal gathered whatever branches he found around him floating in the water to build himself a new raft to wade in alone. I never crossed that in my mind that I'm going to die, no, because I remember my dad said, don't give up, don't leave your rough. In the weeks before the tsunami, when Rizal had headed out to go deep sea fishing, his dad had told him to listen carefully. If you ever get stranded at sea, he said, just wait for the cargo ships. There will be always cargo from all the way from U.S., from, from Africa, that we come to our ocean. Because of their central location, right next to the Strait of Malacca, he said, there would always be someone passing by. So don't worry, just don't give up. So one day, if you still survive, that cargo will find you. The next day, and then the day after that, Rizal tried to keep up his strength. As the ocean gradually emptied of survivors and slowly began to fill with the bodies they left behind. Rizal struggled to find food and water. Instead, he used what he had to survive. So what happened is I took away my clothes, right? So then I just uh, hold it. Day two, day three, day four, I think day six and day eight, there is raining. So the water will stick on the clothes. I squeeze my T-shirt, then there's a water in it. So that's how I drink the water. The days passed slowly. Rizal kept his spirits up by looking at the night sky. Earlier that month, when his father had told him about the cargo ships, he'd also said, He said that when I died, okay, look at the star. There's me there. If you miss me, just look at the star. I'll be there for you. His father had pointed to the Seven Sisters cluster. Every night, Rizal looked for them and took what comfort he could. I feel they are there with me, you know, even though I don't see them, I cannot touch them. But with the comfort of the night sky, also came the threat of falling into a deep sleep. Every day I feel so tired, I feel like I'm, I want to sleep. But Rizal knew that if he did, he might fall off the raft. I cannot sleep because you can only sit on it, you cannot sleep. 
whenever I feel sleepy, then that thing come to me, you know, the the, the whispering. Results, don't sleep if you want to be alive. Keep up. Rizal started to see boats, mostly big ships, pretty far away, though one time a ferry came by. So close he could see passengers smoking on the deck. He tried to yell for them, nearly drowned trying to reach them. But still, the ferry passed him by. They all passed him by. Every single day. At one point, not having spoken to another person for days, Rizal began to talk to the birds. I know you are close to God. Please tell the God that please send somebody, okay, to, to rescue me. I say, um, if you see any human, please talk to human. Or if you see any sheep, just talk to that sheep. Please tell them that I'm still alive here. Okay, bird? Please, please. I'm struggling here. Yeah, I'm very struggling here. On the ninth day, Rizal tried to die. It was around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. The cargo ship was green. came so close to me. I think I believe they saw me. Yeah, because I can't see the people on that ship. I don't know why they just... I mean, they just like, sail away, you know. I was angry. I slapped the water, you know, very strong. I was so angry. Why, God, why? I said, God, why these people didn't rescue me? Why these people left me, you know? I cried, I was angry. So, I was thinking about one hour, I was sitting down, I was angry. Uh, then I just keep quiet. He swam away from the raft, ready to drown. All the energy left, you know, that strong feeling, you know, you are very strong. It goes away from me. So I become weak. You know, it's the thing like we are losing hope. God, why you do this to me? But he couldn't do it. He swam back to his raft, climbed back up, and waited. I saw that the black sheep coming from the west. I took away my my t-shirt, then I put like a flag, you know. So they say, help, help. So luckily, uh, the captain somehow, I don't know, he feels something. You feel like it must be someone still alive. So he took the, the telescope, right, and he just looked at the sea. Then he saw me. That's the moment I feel that I'm going to be alive. The ship was a Japanese ship. The crew came around to Rizal's raft, threw him a rope, and pulled him up. They couldn't speak to each other. None of them knew English then. But the crew took care of Rizal for the next several days. One of the men even stayed by Rizal day and night because he was so concerned about his well-being. He just sit next to me, just look at me. He just asked, water, food, water, food. A few days later, still on the ship, the Indonesian embassy called. A captain had gotten in contact with them, and they asked Rizal about what had happened to him for those nine days at sea. Rizal, uh, can you tell us about your story? All right, what's your name? How old are you? Which part of Aceh are you from? How many of your family? So I, then they I asked him where he wanted to land. You want to stop in Malaysia, you want to stop in Singapore, or you want to stop in Japan? So because that time, um, I couldn't speak English, so I know Malaysian is like a Muslim country, so I think it's good for me to go to Malaysia. And that's where he stayed for the next 10 years. For years after the tsunami, 
Riesel used to wonder why it was that he survived. But he knows now that his family members were the ones who saved him. His grandfather, who taught him how to make a raft. His father, who told him to stay and wait for help. How do you feel when you look at the ocean? In the first five years, I was always thinking about how I survive in the sea. Only moment that I always cross in my mind is the moment of the tsunami. When I see my dad saying bye to me, when I see my mom sitting there in front of my house, they always smile at me. My mom smile at me, my dad smile at me, my sister, my grandparent. Even though he knows they won't answer back, when Rizal looks out at the ocean now, he asks, Dad, Mom, are you still alive? I'm not too sure yet. Maybe you're somewhere. so much resolve for sharing a piece of yourself and you walk in the light the original score for this piece is by Renzo Gorio it was produced by Liz Mack Yes, we did it again together. Are you different now than when we started? Because I know I am, and I hope you are too. And if you want to be the most interesting person in any room you enter, the answer is simple. Because there are more Snap Judgment journeys to be had on the Snap Judgment podcast. And Snap is on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook. Snap is brought to you by the team that instinctively, no matter where they're dropped, Always know which way is north. Except, of course, for the producer, Mr. Mark Ristich, who has no idea, but still insists everybody follow him because he feels it in his bones. There's Nancy Lopez, Pat Lassini Miller, Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, John Facile, Shayna Sheely, Taylor Ducat, Flo Wiley, Marissa Dodge, David Exime, Regina Barriaco, Annie Nguyen, Bo Walsh, Zara Norbosh. Now, contrary to any word on the street, this is not the news. No way is this news. In fact, you can come to my house and I'll make you a delicious, lovingly prepared salad of exotic greens and ripe fruits, but only on the days the local Safeway throws out their old produce. That's feasting day at our house and you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is, but this is PRX. PRX.